بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا ونبينا بالقاسم المصطفى محمد اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين لا سيما بقية الله في الأرضين أجل الله تعالى فرجه الشريف الحمد لله yesterday we talked about the significance of the Quran especially in the months of Ramadan and today as I mentioned yesterday about our plan we want to see how the Quran is given to us through revelation so today we want to explore more the concept of revelation and to realize that that it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is revealing the Quran to us several years ago there was a conference in Poland in Krakow organized by the Pontifical Academy of Theology there and I was invited to present the Islamic view on revelation so for that purpose I made a good research and then I wrote a paper and that paper was later published in a journal which is published by Vatican called Islamo Christiana and later published in the second volume of Islamic reference series in this uh, Word of God so this the whole volume is about the Quran and Revelation the very first paper is that paper that initially was written for that conference called Divine Revelation and Islamic Perspective on Divine Guidance and Human Understanding so I share with you some of the ideas but if you are interested inshallah you can get it uh, easily from the center here the concept which we have in the Quran and Hadith is of course not revelation it's wahy wahy in Arabic is literally used for a kind of suggestion a kind of conveying a message which normally is done very quickly and sometimes secretly so if you very clearly say something this is not normally used in a literal sense wahy but if by for example pointing your finger you deliver a message to someone or you know by some movement or by some whisper you know so this can be called wahy when we look at the Quran we find that in the Quran the term wah and its derivatives are used in different ways for different recipients for example you find that the Prophet and in particular the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, is a recipient of wah but also you find that for example disciples of Jesus also received wahya 
or mother of Moses received wahya or angels receive wahya or even the bee receives wahya or even the heavens receive wahya so what does it mean it means that wahya is not used always in the same sense it's not always used in a prophetic sense the one that we are used to use you know wahya in the sense of a prophet receiving wahya no the quran uses wahya in different ways if you reflect on all the cases in which the quran has used the term wahya you find that the quran uses the term of wahya in the following ways but before I mention those ways, I need to mention quickly something. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that He has provided all beings with a type of guidance. When Moses and Harun were asked by Pharaoh, Who is your Lord? Man rabbukuma ya Musa? Who is your Lord, Musa? The Prophet Musa answered, Our Lord is the one who has given everything its creation and then has guided it. So not only as Allah has created everything, but He has also guided everything to the best possible level of perfection for that particular being please be very careful about the wording Allah has guided everything to the best possible level of perfection for that being not that for example a bee can become a prophet no a bee receives enough guidance so that it acts properly as a bee is supposed to act something that they need for their life or for example even a plant when you plant a seed the seed knows automatically how it should get for example water and chemicals from the soil get the for example benefit from sun how to survive how to grow how to reproduce everything receives this guidance and this guidance works if it is not stopped by an external factor, something that, for example, maybe you don't let this plant to grow, you uproot it. And that is not the problem with the guidance. The guidance is there, but someone has stopped the process. If it is left to itself, it can grow and reach the level that it is possible for that. Of course, when it comes to non-living beings, then we don't understand that much the way they function. When we look at a stone, we think that this stone is always the same, not changing. But if you go deep into the inside of the particles of that stone, you realize that there are so many movements there that may be more amazing than the movements of the stars that we can obviously see. So everything is guided by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, the Prophet Musa said, Our Lord is He who gave to each created thing its form and nature and further gave it guidance. This is chapter 20, verses 49 and 50. 
Also in Surat A'la. Sabihism Rabbika Al-A'la. Alladhi khalaqa fasawwa. Then we say, Alladhi qaddara fahada. The one who made everything in an appropriate measure. Everything has its own measure. And then is guided. This is chapter 87, verses 1 to 3. So, this is a general form of guidance. Our theologians, our scholars, they call this Al-Hidayatul Ammah. General, inclusive form of guidance. In addition to this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided us human beings with additional guidance. So, not only we have our guidance through, for example, our instincts, we have additional guidance through revelation. And this is something which helps us to understand our way towards our perfection. The animals, the plants, don't have this extra guidance. And therefore, their level of perfection is only manageable and achievable by their instincts or by their internal forces. But for us, we can go beyond what we actually can understand ourselves if we follow revelation. So revelation takes our hand further and when we cannot understand by ourselves, revelation, you know, can give us even more. But also, th there is a side effect of this, which is also interesting. Because we have been given revelation and better abilities of understanding by our reason, our instincts are not made that strong. So for an animal, it's just enough to follow the instincts. For us, the instincts are there, but they are not that much made strong and inclusive of every aspect of our life. Why? Because we are supposed to not be driven by our instincts, rather to be driven by our reason and revelation. So instincts are made little so that we learn. We strive to understand, to find out the laws of creation, the laws of guidance. So this is very important. So you see how human beings compared to animals are weak when it comes to their instincts. If you leave a child alone, cannot survive. Even if you give the child food and you say, okay, I provide food and drink, Still, the child cannot survive without someone showing how to, for example, make dress, how to make a house, how to go for hunting, how to do farming. A human child does not understand these things. Why? Because Allah has given him reason and revelation so that he doesn't depend only on instincts. Okay. This form of extra guidance which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides us with is called Al-Hidayatul Khassah. This is a specific, additional, special guidance that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. Okay, now knowing this, let's go back to the issue of the usage or different occurrences of the term wah in the Qur'an. According to the Qur'an, sometimes wah is used 
just for natural instincts. And this is for example when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about bees. Awha rabbuka ila nahl anittakhidhi min al-jibal buyuta. Allah has revealed, what does it mean? It is not that Allah has sent a messenger or a prophet. It means that Allah has taught the bees, has put this natural instinct there that they realize that it is good for them to take mountains as places for their life. So, one of the, or perhaps the best type of honey you can have is when the bees are kept in mountains. The best air, fresh air, everything is nice. Or for example, about the spiders. They receive wahy. What does it mean? It means they are guided through their instincts. So, everything receives this kind of guidance. Even for example, you can say even the stars, planets, atoms, all receive this type of guidance. The second usage is inspiration. Sometimes in the Quran, revelation, or it's better to say wahy, is used in the sense of inspiration. Like what? Like for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that Awha, He inspired mother of Musa, Allah nabiyyina wa alayhi When mother of Musa had to leave Musa inside the river, who inspired the mother of Musa? It was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that inspired him. She was not a prophet. She didn't receive revelation in the sense of receiving a kind of message from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that, for example, the prophets received. He was, she was inspired by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. She was convinced at that time that this is going to be good for Moses, would not be dangerous for Moses. Because as a mother, without receiving this kind of assurance, you would not put your child in river. So, this is the way that Allah inspired the mother of Musa, Allah Nabi wa Ali wa So, in this case, we have why in the sense of inspiration. And then, why is used sometimes in the way that theologians use prophetic revelation. This is very important, prophetic revelation. So, for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in chapter 42, number 7, Thus we have revealed to you an Arabic Quran. When Allah says, we have revealed to you an Arabic Quran, this is different from the previous two meanings. It's not instinct, it's not just inspiration. It is prophetic revelation. And inshallah we will mention all different uh, types of prophetic revelation. Or for example, in chapter 12, number 3, Allah says, we relate unto you the most beautiful stories in that we revealed to you this Quran. Before this, you too were among those who knew it not. The Prophet didn't know these stories, didn't know the content of the Quran. Allah revealed to him. So, our 
discussion is focused on the third meaning of wahi, and that is prophetic revelation. So, this is a very important discussion, and sometimes you see that even Muslims are divided about certain issues because they don't share the same understanding of wahi. For example, you sometimes hear and even sometimes you watch some documentaries like the one that you watched recently that the Prophet Muhammad when for the first time received the revelation he was confused he didn't know what has happened to him he was perplexed and he went home and the lady Khadija uh, gave him some comfort and took him to see Waraqat ibn Nawfal who had some knowledge about the previous books and Waraqat listening to the Prophet said you are a Prophet so this is the way that it's said by millions of people unfortunately written and even as I said you know documentaries you know report this and this is absolutely unbelievable how a person can be guiding people when he himself doesn't know that he is a prophet if there is such a possibility then always whenever he receives a message there is a chance and possibility that maybe this is an illusion or maybe it is Satan that is suggesting something to him and unfortunately they actually sometimes say this as well in some sources not of course as frequent as the first one but in some you know sources sometimes you read stories about the story of Qaraniq which I don't want to mention it takes time that they say you know sometimes something was in the mind of the Prophet and the Prophet, you know, recited and then realized that this is not the Quran. You may have heard this story of Qaraniq. In any case, inshallah, when we explain the concept of why and the way that, alhamdulillah, we have been able to understand this concept through the teachings of Ahlul Bayt, you find that there is no such a possibility. It's absolutely uh, not possible. So, the first thing that we have to remember is to be able to be addressed by God and receive the message of God or revelation requires a very high capacity. This is very important. Receiving that is not like receiving a letter. You can give me a letter no matter what is written in that letter even if I am not a good person. Even I can be receiving a letter in the letters, for example, said that you have been appointed as the head of, for example, a country, you have become a president or you have been appointed as a, for example, king or whatever, or as a minister, without me being able to have any qualification for that. But when it comes to receiving revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's not like that. Receiving a revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala needs 
many qualities. One of them is capacity. You have to have great capacity. You know, it's like, for example, I am reluctant to use this example because it has some negative connotations, but uh, just pay attention from the angle that I am looking at it. You know, when, for example, you want to uh, use electricity, if this electricity is too powerful, like for example when it comes from the power plant and it's not reduced by the transformators, if you use that electricity, it will burn everything. If you connect your TV directly to that cable, it will be burnt, it will explode. Because that electricity is too strong. I don't want to say revelation is like electricity, but it's a kind of powerful, weighty message. That it's not easy to take it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّا We soon will send to you a very weighty, heavy word. Quran was a very heavy word. Sometimes the Prophet, when he was receiving revelation, he was like a person who is dying, as if he is going to be unconscious. It's so much powerful. He had to struggle to receive. Everyone looking at the Prophet was realizing that he is not a normal condition. So, you have to be qualified and among different qualities you have to have great capacity. This capacity means that you are able to cope with first the pressure of receiving and second all the challenges of delivering the message. Because that is also another big issue. Sometimes you are told a secret. Just imagine a very simple example. Sometimes someone tells you a secret which is very important. Maybe life of many people depends on that. To be able to keep that secret is very difficult. You always want to say this to people. To preserve it, it's very difficult. And then to say it to the people that are reliable, going and finding them and passing on the message to them is another challenge. So, it was a great challenge for the Prophet to receive the Qur'an and then pass it on to the people despite all the challenges, all the threats, not to hide anything, not to add anything, just as it was revealed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is a hadith from Imam Hassan al-Askari alayhi salam and this hadith is about why God chose the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, to be given the Quran. Imam says, verily, this is my translation, verily God found the heart of Muhammad the best and with the greatest capacity, so he chose him for prophethood. 
So it is not accidental that, okay, God wanted to send the Quran and said, let's look around. Who is there who is a good person? We give him the Quran. It was not like that. It is all wise plan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the Quran was going to be revealed at the time of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu This is all planned, but not in the way which was forced. Some of you may have heard my discussions about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes plans. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is able to make plans and at the same time leave a space for our freedom. But He is so powerful and so wise that within His planning, He takes into account all the possibilities that people can you know, act upon and make sure that at the end what He wants will be happening. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the Qur'an to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu because he was the best and with the greatest capacity. This is very important. Let me give you an example from the Qur'an itself to realize how was the capacity of the Prophet sallallahu You know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَوْ أَنْذَلْنَا هَذَا الْقُرْآنَ عَلَىٰ جَبَلٍ لَرَأَيْتَهُ خَاشَعًا مُتَصَدَّعًا مِنْ خَشَّةِ if we reveal this Qur'an, we send this Qur'an down to the mountains, you would see that that mountain becomes like pieces. It will be exploded, it will be made into pieces. It will be very humbled and made into pieces. Because this mountain would be filled with the awe and kind of respect and honor for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which would not be able to remain together. Okay? If a mount or mountain, after receiving the Quran, will be made into pieces, you can imagine what would happen to a human being. A human being would be evaporated. <laughs> if mountain is made to pieces, why we are not changing and why the Prophet did not change? Two questions. How can we read the Quran and still we are intact, nothing happens to us. Because we don't understand the Quran. We only have a little encounter of some levels of the Quran. We only know some of the letters of the Quran. What about the Prophet? He understood the Quran better than the mountain, of course. He grasped the Quran. So why he survived, there is only one answer. Because he had greatest capacity. He had the capacity to receive the Qur'an, understand the Qur'an, grasp the whole Qur'an, and at the same time remain intact. 
Of course, it was not easy for him, but he managed to remain. He managed to survive. But it made the Prophet so humbled, so much in love with the Quran, that the Prophet was not able to find rest without the Quran. So much so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, مَا أَنزَلْنَا عَلَيْكَ الْقُرْآنَ لِتَشْقَى We haven't revealed the Qur'an to you so that you suffer. Why you so much read the Qur'an standing on your foot and you know, reading the Qur'an so much? Because he knew that what a gift Allah has given him. So he wanted to spend as much as time possible with the Qur'an. And as a result, he was somehow in trouble, in pain, but with joy. He was enjoying himself in doing this kind of ibadah. Okay, so one quality that the Prophet had is the great capacity. Another quality is a very good understanding. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends his messages to the Prophets because they are very much understanding. For example, there is a hadith from the Prophet Muhammad He says, God has not sent any prophet or apostle, any Nabi or Rasul. You know, there is a difference between Nabi and Rasul. All the Rasuls are Nabi. All the apostles are prophets, but not vice versa. Some Nabi are Rasul. Normally, Rasul are those who have a mission with either a book or a mission with a Sharia or something, you know, just more than receiving revelation. They have responsibility to guide and perhaps lead as a leader. Okay, God has not sent any prophet or apostle unless he has completed his intellect. And his intellect is superior to the intellects of his entire nation. So, at the time of Musa, who was the most intelligent person? Musa. At the time of Isa, السلام, who was the most understanding person? Isa. At the time of the Prophet Muhammad, السلام, who was the greatest person in his understanding and reasoning? The Prophet. So you see, one of the important qualities is to be a person who is rational and intelligent. This is very important. This is one of the pillars of the Islamic uh, understanding according to Ahlul Bayt that for us, aql or intellect is a hujjah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, something without which you cannot make any step towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, to be able to receive revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala needs certain qualities. One is capacity, second is understanding, and third, piety. You cannot choose a sinful person and say, okay, now you are going to be a prophet, so from today you have to change, and you become a good person, and I make you a prophet. 
or a person who has been worshipping idols all his life, all of a sudden he repents and becomes a prophet. This is not working. When the prophet Ibrahim passed all the tests, finally Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, I'm going to make you Imam. He's a leader with all the responsibility and all the power. I'm going to make you an Imam. This is the final stage that a prophet can reach. Prophet Ibrahim had several qualities. One of his qualities was that he was loving his progeny very much. One reason can be that because for a long time he didn't have any child. So you see, he's always talking about his Zorriya, his progeny. But the best reason is that because he's a person who understands that your children are fruits of you. And it is in your children, generation by generation, that you can harvest what you didn't harvest during your life. If you have good children, the season of harvesting will be extended for me. So centuries after I die, I can still benefit from my children. If I don't have good children, as soon as I die, the season is finished for me. And if Na'uzubillah have left bad children, <laughs> then I have to suffer even, so the bills come even after I die. So, he was very concerned about his progeny. One of the things that, for example, he said when he was raising the foundation of Kaaba, he said, Oh Allah, make us submissive to you and from our progeny. Or for example, when he left Ismail, he said, I left my progeny here in a land which is not fertile. So, when Allah said that you are to become an Imam, or you are appointed as an Imam, immediately He said, Women zurriyati. What about my progeny? Are they also going to receive this honor? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, La yanalu ahdi aqwalameen. My covenant, this position of Imam would not reach the people who are unjust. The people who have done zulm. And you know, anything which is against Allah's will is zulm. Every sinner is zalim. You don't need only to do zulm to others. Indeed, you first do zulm to yourself. Zalam to nafsi. So, Allah told Ibrahim that out of your progeny, those who are not zalim, those who have not committed sin, they have this honor of becoming imam. And those who are sinners, they will not become imam. Many discussions have been said about this verse. But I say you something that maybe you have not heard. A very simple argument. First of all, before I mention the argument, I want to clarify more what is the 
thing that we want to argue for. Is it possible for a person who has spent his life disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and worshipping, for example, idols, being mushrik, and you know Quran says, Shirk is a great injustice. So is it possible for such a person to stop doing that, try to change, and then he becomes Imam? And Imam is highest position of a prophet. So what about becoming a prophet? Is it possible? The answer is no. You can always repent. You will be forgiven, inshallah, if you repent sincerely. But you cannot reach this position which comes from Allah. You cannot reach Ahdullah, a position from Allah, a divine position, if you have spent part of your life on Zulm. Okay? There are different arguments for this. I mentioned a new argument. I say, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling Ibrahim that I have no problem with your progeny to become Imam. The only concern is that they must not be Zalim. Okay? Otherwise there is no problem. What does it mean? It means that every progeny of you who is not Zalim can become Imam. Okay? So, if you say not to be Zalim just requires not to do Zalim from this point onwards, then among the progeny of Ibrahim, there are many people who at a certain point of their life, they have become pious. Many Sayyids, many people have been pious and they have not been given any position by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They have not been made Imam or Prophet. So, to have this quality that you are not Zalim is much more than just at a certain point becoming a good person. La yanalu ahd means that throughout your life you must not be one of those people who do injustice either to themselves or to others or both. This is a very important argument, inshallah, reflect on that later. In any case, one requirement for receiving revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to be pious, to have a pure heart. Without having a pure heart, you cannot receive revelation. Even the Quran says, without having pure heart, you cannot really <coughs> understand the Quran. You cannot even touch that hidden book from which the Qur'an is originated without being purified. Let alone being the one who receives the Qur'an. So, piety and purity is also another important quality. <coughs> okay. Then, after these requirements, now... There is a question about how the prophets understand that they have become prophets. <coughs> this is a very important issue. It's not that everyone 
who is a good person and understands things, he should think that he's a prophet. You know, sometimes this happens, I am saying this in brackets. Sometimes happens that some people who are with some gifts from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for example, they have some wisdom or they have some kind of vision for future or they have some piety. Unfortunately, sometimes they are confused. To begin with, they have good quality, but then they cannot appreciate this quality and they go, you know, unfortunately, to the wrong direction. For example, when <coughs> they understand things that normal people cannot understand, then they develop a sense of pride. And then some people, either people with bad intention or sometimes friends which are not good, start praising them and gradually prepare them to claim that they are a special person. They are a prophet or they are, for example, you know, a very, for example, holy person. In the history of Islam, for example, we see that there were people who claimed to be Mahdi, even <coughs> among the Alawites, among the progeny of the Ahlul Bayt. And some of these people were very good people, very pious people, but they were confused. And they thought that they are Mahdi, especially because they had following, and they said, oh, you are such a nice person from the progeny of the Prophet and Lady Fatima, so you have the qualities. So, everyone has to be very careful. <coughs> With a prophet himself, there is no chance of being confused. For a prophet, it's obvious that he is a prophet. Those who are confused are the people who are not appointed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who have not been guided by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, in the Qur'an, we have a beautiful expression when Allah talks about becoming a prophet and receiving revelation. Allah talks in the form of vision, seeing. A prophet starts seeing realities. Of course, not by the physical eyes. But the closest thing that you can use, which Qur'an has used, is to use the term ru'ya. It means that it's so obvious for him that it's like seeing. There is no ambiguity. There is no chance for being dusted or clouded. For example, in chapter 53, verses 11 to 18, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, the heart did not deny what it saw. Ma ma ra'a. The heart of the Prophet, when saw something, it was true. It was not a lie. So, it's heart seeing. It's very important. The heart is seeing something. And then Allah says, أَفَتُمَارُونَهُ عَلَى مَا يَرَى Will you then dispute with him about what he saw? 
When he has seen the reality, how can you question him? He has seen it. Zurara, you know Zurara, he is a well-known companion of Imam Sadiq alayhi salam. And he asked Imam Sadiq a very good question. He said how the Prophet became certain that it was a genuine revelation that he received. And it was not a kind of satanic temptation or suggestion. He asked Imam Sadiq, this is Zorara, a very good question. Imam replied in this way. Verily, when God chooses a servant of his to become an apostle, Rasul, he bestows upon that person confidence and tranquility. So what comes to him from God is like what he sees with his eyes. This is the way Imam Sadr is explaining the meaning of Wah. So with this kind of understanding, then that story about the beginning of Wah is really nonsense. The Prophet sees In another incident, Imam Sadiq was asked how the apostles, Rasul, Rasul is the plural form for Rasul, how the apostles of God knew that they were apostles. Imam said, the veil was removed from them. There was no qita. The veil was removed. In another hadith, Muhammad ibn Muslim, who is again a very reliable narrator of hadith, says he had a conversation with Imam Sadiq about who is muhaddath. You know, <clears throat> we have this expression muhaddath. Muhaddath is different from muhaddath. Muhaddath is the one who narrates hadith. Muhaddas means the one who is spoken, the one who has been given hadith without learning from any teacher. Muhaddas means he has been spoken to, he has been talked to. So, Imam salam said, he hears the voice and does not see. So, Muhaddas is different from Rasul. Rasul can see. Muhaddas is the one who hears the voice. Like for example, Lady Mary. Lady Mary was Muhaddas. She received some words of God, but she didn't see anything. So, there is a difference between Muhaddas and Rasul. But even Muhaddas hears something. It's not an illusion. Let alone a prophet. So, for a prophet, it's very obvious, very clear, no single doubt about being a prophet, about receiving revelation. He feels this by his entire being. And he, after that, gains confidence about this. He would not be a person who would be not sure, okay, what should I say to the people? How can I ask them, you know, to leave everything behind, to change their way of life, to give them money and life, when I am not myself sure? 
How can you be an honest person and guiding people without telling them that I am myself not sure? If you are an honest person, you have to tell them, you know, look, this is something that has come to my mind. I am not how much sure that this is from God or not, but I wanted to share with you. A person who, like Prophet who was honest, Al-Amin, he cannot say to people something without he himself being sure. So, this is something that I think is important and I stop today with this <coughs> point about revelation. So, so far we talked about the literal meaning of wah and then different usage of wah in the Quran and then the technical meaning which is one of the meanings which are used in the Quran, the third one. And then we talked about the qualities which are needed to receive the revelation and what happens to a prophet that makes him very sure about being a prophet. Just, if you bear with me two, three minutes, I want to mention one hadith about different types of people who recite the Qur'an. Because every day I want to bring some of these hadith about the significance of the Qur'an. This hadith is from Imam Baghir alayhi salam. In volume 2nd of volume 2 of Kafi, page 627. Imam Baghir said, Quran Those who recite the Quran are one of the three groups. Those who don't recite Quran, we are not talking about them. This is about the people who recite the Quran. Rajulun Gara al Quran some people recite the Qur'an and they have taken Qur'an as business. By reciting the Qur'an beautifully and nicely, they go to the kings and take money from them. They go to the people and ask people to give them something. This is a business for them. They don't understand what is the value of the Qur'an. One of the famous reciters of the Qur'an, once he was invited somewhere and he asked, how much you are going to give me? And they mentioned some amount, which was not bad, but he said, I don't want this, this is against the Qur'an. Because the Qur'an says, La tashtaru ayati samanan qalila. Do not sell my verses with little price. And he didn't realize that Saman and Galilan means the whole dunya. Because the whole dunya, if you receive and you sell Quran, you have sold the Quran with a cheap price. It's not that a matter of it is a thousand dollar or hundred thousand dollar. The whole dunya is Saman and Galil. In any case, so some people use Quran for business. The second group. There is a second group, they don't do it as a business, they recite the Qur'an nicely, but they don't practice the Qur'an. Imam says, May Allah not increase such reciters of the Qur'an, such people who are carrying the Qur'an, these first two groups. 
And then the third group. Rajulun qara al-Qur'an fawaza'a dawa'a al-Qur'an ala da'i qalbih. The one who recites the Qur'an and knows that the Qur'an is a book which gives you treatment for your illnesses. So he puts the medicine of Qur'an, the Qur'anic medicine, on his heart or her heart. فَأَسْحَرَ بِهِ لَيْلَهُ In the night, he or she spends some time not sleeping, just making himself or herself busy with the Qur'an, enjoying reading the Qur'an. And in the day, he recites the Qur'an and... He so much enjoys the Qur'an that he doesn't feel even thirsty. He doesn't drink water. And he stands saying prayer, reciting the Qur'an. You know, according to our hadith, reciting the Qur'an during the prayer is much more rewarded than reciting the Qur'an outside prayer. So if you want to recite Quran, one good way is to start prayer and then start reciting the Quran. It's much more rewarded than outside prayer. So this person stands up in the place of sajda in his or on his prayer mat and recites the Quran. Leaves his warm bed and recites the Quran. By such people, Allah protects the rest of people. Calamities go away from people because of existence of such people. And by such people, Allah protects people from enemies. By such people, Allah sends rain. Because of them, everyone is blessed. Faballah. And then Imam said, By Allah, ha'ula'i fi Qur'an, qurra'i Qur'an, a'azzu min al-kibrit al-ahmar. These are very rare. You cannot find that many of them. But even if there is only few, still they have such, a, such an impact on the entire community. The people who don't take Qur'an as a business, the people who don't forget the teachings of the Qur'an, they implement the Qur'an on their lives and try to make more friendship with the Qur'an. Thank you very much. Wa akhiru da'wana and alhamdulillah rabbil alameen.